Well, good morning and welcome to Commitment Sunday. Our Next Gen Spiritual Initiative has been building and heading toward this momentous day for over a month now. And uh, uh, we believe that in just a few moments, we have the opportunity uh, to just join in the privilege of making history, making impacts together as God's people, uh, making commitments that will impact eternity. Before we, we make our commitments, uh, we're going to spend a few moments talking about what happens when we see forever. This next-gen season has been all about us asking every person, every one of us, we're part of the Southwinds family, to look beyond the present, to look past the, the busyness of our lives, to look to the next generation, even to think about eternal values and just ask ourselves, what is God calling me to do to fulfill His will for Southwinds Church? During Next Gen, we are seeking to grow our campus. We believe God wants us to build a 700-seat worship center that opens up this building for our student ministry and in turn opens up our student center for our kids' space. We're going to update our current buildings, our, our, our parking lot. We're going to add a new paved parking lot, a new entrance off of Middle Road. And all of this together will increase our capacity for sharing the good news and impacting families by over 50%. We've shared with you in past weeks that our next-gen phase one is estimated to cost $5.9 million. And our goal during this season is that we would see at least $2.5 million come in in pledges. And that would enable us to move forward in our mission to reach Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop. Next-gen is what God is calling us to as a church and I'm excited to let you know today, kind of an update, that we now have over $900,000 in advance commitments. And it's a great start. It's a really great start. But, but if we are to reach our goal, we're going to need every single one of us to join in, make a commitment, be a part, and participate as well. That's going to happen today at the end of our time of worship. We're going to have a time where, where each of you will be given the opportunity to bring your next-gen initial gift and to bring your 36-month commitment. So as you've seen during our singing time, our, our, our children, our teenagers have already responded uh, and brought their gifts, what they have received and collected so far. And uh, it is going to be our turn uh, at the end of this service. What we're going to do in our time of studying God's Word today is we're going to, to take a look at, at what it looks like for us to sacrifice for the next generation. If you haven't opened your Bible yet, I want to encourage you to do so to Exodus chapter 35 and then chapter 36. We're going to be looking at a few verses here. And last week I explained to you that biblical generosity starts with the counterintuitive understanding that God doesn't need your money. A lot of people think that he does, but nothing can be further from the truth. And I told you, how many times has Jesus uh, proved that to us? I mean, he, he put coins in the mouth of a fish. He fed 20,000 people with a little boy's lunch. He stilled storms with just a word. I mean, God just sneezes out fully furnished universes at will. He doesn't need our money. We never give because God needs it. You see, when, when Jesus talks about generosity, he's not after our money. He's after our hearts. And that's why I told you that God's primary purpose in giving is not to get the money out of our pockets, but to get the idols out of our hearts. That's why generosity is not something God wants from you. It is something he wants for you, for your good. It's always about your heart. 
Now, this passage, Exodus 35 and 6, is the story of the building of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is just the tent where God's presence dwelt. It's the place of worship. The context for this passage is that Israel has been delivered from slavery in Egypt. God sent the plagues to set them free. He's taken them through the Red Sea where he destroyed the Egyptian army that was trying to kill them. He's been leading them with a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He's given them manna in the desert. He's given them water gushing from a rock. He's destroyed all their enemies. He's met all their needs. And now he's preparing them to enter the promised land. I want to begin in Exodus 35 verse 4. And this is what we read. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems, to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Now that's God's call. Here's the response of the people, verses 20 through 22. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. First of all, I want to point out to you that these people were taking part in something that far outlasted them. The tabernacle was the precursor to the temple. The temple we know today was the precursor to Jesus. And think about this. We are still talking about what they did 3,500 years later. Today, like them, we can be part of something far bigger than us, something that will, that will long outlast us, something that impacts the next generation, something, yes, that even impacts eternity. We're going to talk today about what happens when we see forever, when we look at our lives today with an eternal perspective. And there are eight observations that I want you to see in this story. Very quickly, we're going to to work our way through them. Number one, when we see forever, we give in response to God's initiative. It's always in response to God's initiative. Now, in Exodus, God was leading them. Think about this. The Exodus was God's idea, not theirs. They were not building something for God. They were cooperating with God as he built something through them for them. And really, think about it. It's not like God needed their stuff to do what he wanted to do, right? I mean, the hardest parts of the Exodus, he did all by himself. The plagues, God did that. Uh, Destroying the Egyptian army, God did it. Manna in the desert, that was God. Gushing water from a rock, God I mean, everything that was hard, God has already done. And now he just gives them an invitation to join him in what he is doing. In the same way, God today is clearly working at Southwinds. We are a church that has gone from a, a group of 100 people 25 years ago to today, 1,250 people meeting in worship each week. You know this if you've been here for any time at all. You have seen God at work, right? 
people coming to faith in Christ. We saw 123 people baptized last year. There have been over 1,000 people baptized in the last 13 years. Families are being restored each week. There are are 500 uh, students and children that are being discipled. Chains of sin being broken in so many people's lives as they receive ministry and give their lives away. And do you know that in the last 13 years, we as a church have seen more than $1.1 million go out from this church to mission causes all around the world. I told, I told you last week about this. This is such an incredible blessing that over the, the last number of years, we have received over $1 million of free dirt, free dirt to prepare our property for this project. It's all out there. It's all ready to go. It didn't cost us one penny, a million dollars of dirt. Friends, we have so much to be thankful for here at Southwinds. You know, and I've been telling you over and over again these past couple of months, please, please do not take for granted the blessing of God here because it does not happen in every place. It does not happen at every time. God is moving and we must be faithful to seize the opportunities that he is giving us. Someone emailed me this week and said, Mike, this is not our first campaign with Southwinds. We have been blessed to participate over the years, and every time we can look back and see exactly how God has honored the effort to reach Tracy and the surrounding communities. God has really worked miracles in people's lives through Southwinds, and we have no doubt he is about to do it again. Someone else wrote me this, Mike, because God commands us to be generous and support his kingdom's growth, my wife and I want to give. I have faith that God is leading us to expand our boundaries for sharing the gospel. I work in an industry that has allowed me to see the future expansion of our communities, and we need to be ready. I've told you before that over 100,000 people who don't know Jesus Christ, people who are lost, they live in our area. We do need to be ready. We do need to be ready to be faithful. And I want to tell you today, I'm confident that as we respond with generosity, I really do believe we've only seen the beginning of what God will use us to do. What if by 2020, we're seeing 2,000 people being served and ministered to each week? What if God uses us, Southwinds Church, to bring not 1,000 people, but 2,000 people to faith in him in the next decade? He can do that. What if not just hundreds of families are being restored and reconciled and built up, but thousands of families finding hope as they meet Jesus, as they find fellowship with Jesus' people? What if that can happen? It can as we are faithful. It can as we see forever, and as we give in response to God's initiative. That's the first thing. Here's the second. God uses our stuff to build his kingdom. Now, again, God doesn't need our stuff. God didn't need their stuff, but God uses our stuff to build his kingdom. And and saying he chooses to use it and he gives us an opportunity to participate, well, that's very different than saying he needs it. I mean, think about this. When you read the Bible, you ever notice that the work God does on earth is always facilitated through the gifts of his people? When Jesus fed the 5,000, how did he do it? He used a little boy's lunch, five loaves of bread about this big, and two fish. I like to call that a Hebrew happy meal. (laughs) Now, obviously, 
a God who could do that did not need five loaves and two fish. Does that make sense? It's not like if he only had three loaves and one fish head that he wouldn't be able to do the miracle. God simply wants his people to be involved, and so he allows the lunch of a little boy to be the means by which he extended the blessing. In Exodus, God is choosing to use the Israelite stuff to build his tabernacle. Do you realize what an incredible privilege it is for us to be able to be part of what God's doing? Someone else wrote me this. Mike, although we are eagerly looking forward to building our new worship center and updating our current facilities, we are actually more excited about what God will be doing in the hearts of his people who choose to partner with him and invest in this divine opportunity. As we know from God's word, where our treasure is, our hearts will follow. Our church family will move forward in faith as each of us sacrificially denies himself that which is temporal for that which will bear fruit in eternity. Yes, we are sacrificing some vacations, delaying some desired home improvements, and continuing to drive the same vehicles. But we don't believe we will look back from eternity and consider it a sacrifice, but rather an opportunity seized. What joy to know that so many lost people in our surrounding communities will be receiving the gospel truth and one day be praising God with us in heaven. That's what it means to see forever. Number three, when we see forever, we realize that everyone has something to contribute. Verse 20 in chapter 35 says the whole Israelite community was involved. And if you read through this chapter, you'll see all these different kinds of people. The craftsmen did this. Some women did that. Some people could weave cloth. There's just this laundry list of different people. Everyone had a part. Everyone was invited to get involved. See, it wasn't like God was just after the resources of a few wealthy people. Sometimes people who don't have a lot will say to me, you know, why do I need to give? I can barely make ends meet. I mean, I look around, I see what that guy drives to church. His tithe is probably more than my annual salary. And when someone says something like that, I know that they haven't grasped biblical generosity yet. See, God isn't after your money because he doesn't need your money. He is after your heart He doesn't need the rich person's money either. God just wants our gifts that represent the love of our hearts to him. See, God didn't say in Exodus, Moses, just get the rich people together. You know, the rainmakers, they can make this happen. He said, it's for everyone. I want everyone involved because I want everyone's heart in this. You know, you, you, you saw a picture of that just a few moments ago. I love that this is starting to grow here. And we saw our, our children come in and, and bring their offerings that they have been receiving and collecting up to this point. Uh, if you haven't been here, you haven't heard this, but our student ministry has set a goal for the ministry of $50,000 over the next three years. And they are filling up Pringles cans with, with money and change and, you know, anything they can get that will help them reach that goal. Our our children, they built Lego bank boxes and they've got their offerings and they've already given, listen to this, they've already given our kids over $1,000. Not pledged, that's already, already come in. See, we need to be reminded that this is for everyone and we aren't in charge of what God gives us, but we are in charge of what we do 
with what God gives us. See, that leads me to number four. When we see forever, we understand that you can't give what you don't have. Look at uh, verses 24 and 25. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Now this implies that, that some people had silver or bronze, and some didn't. Some had acacia wood, and some didn't. Not everyone was good at spinning yarn and linen, but some were. Each one gave out of what God had given to them. Here's what that means. That means you should not feel guilty about not being able to give what you don't have. For some of you, at one point in your life, you could have given a lot of money, but but things have changed now and you can't. You don't need to feel bad about that. See, God determines the seasons of your life. And you are only responsible to give out of the situation that he's currently put you in. Your job's not to live up to someone else's standards or please someone else, even even to reach a standard that you've set for yourself. Just be faithful in the season God has put you in. Some people have asked me, "Do, do I give from my income while I'm in debt? And I believe that biblically the answer is yes. Anytime God provides you with income, you should use some of it to be generous. You see, giving is about putting God first in your life. And do you really want to say, my debt is before God? Besides that, you need to know this. The Bible has no exception clauses for generosity. God's people are always called to generosity. And you may find yourself in debt right now because of some choices you've made in the past that that honestly didn't honor God. And if you haven't uh, repented of that, then my counsel to you is repent and receive God's forgiveness and move on. And in this season of life you find yourself in now, it may be difficult. It may take some time to get out of that. But in that difficult time, don't you want his blessing? Don't you want to be, as a result of that, as generous as you possibly can be? for God who's providing you with life and everything you have. See, a lot of us are people with a modest income, but we also have credit card bills. We have school loans. We have car payments. We have a a mortgage. It's tight for us. And some of you are saying, do I give? And again, biblically, the answer is yes, because if you know Jesus Christ, God has given you in his son everything, and he provides for your needs, and generosity should always be a part of our lives because God is always giving to us. Some of you, I think, uh, some of us, may need to learn from our kids. Uh, We actually, not just what you see in front of you, but uh, last Sunday, we received a letter from a seven-year-old girl who is very excited about what God is doing. And this is what she wrote, and I'm going to quote it word for word. Dear Southwinds Church, so she wasn't writing to me, she was writing to you. (laughs) Dear Southwinds Church, me and my sister bought a box of candy at Costco. Then we put on our next-gen t-shirts and went door-to-door selling candy for a dollar. That's D-O-L-L-E-R. We raised $34.40. I don't know where the 40 cents came from. She may have charged somebody a little extra. We raised $34.40. We felt very happy and delighted. This was just one day. 
we have five more days to raise more for the next gen before Sunday morning. Oh, Southwinds, I am praying that you will be very happy and delighted. I am praying that you will know much joy. I am praying that you will discover how that can happen because Jesus tells us how that can happen. Jesus says to us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, everyone has something to contribute. Everyone is to give simply out of what God has given to us. Number five, we give in response to grace, always. Now, what grace had these people seen? Well, first of all, remember God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. But there was something that was probably more fresh on their minds. If you read Exodus again and go back to Exodus 32, you're going to find the story of this horrible thing that they did. You remember when, when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and while he was up there, I mean, how did Israel show their devotion to God? Answer is, they got drunk, threw a party, got naked, made a golden calf, and danced around it and said, you're our God. And Moses comes down the mountain, and he loses it, and, and God is about to destroy the people, and Moses intercedes, and God has mercy. These people in Exodus 35 knew that God should have destroyed them. They knew they shouldn't even have been there, and they are just overwhelmed with God's grace. In fact, there's kind of an interesting observation if you read carefully. Verse 22 says, they gave gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. Now, think about it. Where did a bunch of slaves get a lot of stuff like that? I mean, you know, there were no like kiosks on the way out of Egypt where you can stop and buy that stuff. Well, the answer is back all the way in Exodus 12. When they were leaving Egypt, God put a spirit of fear to, on the Egyptians, and God told the Israelites to ask the Egyptians for a contribution, and the Egyptians just unloaded all this jewelry on them. The Bible says they plundered the Egyptians. You know what that means? That means this. They are only giving back to God out of what God has given to them. They are simply giving back out of the blessing that they have received. And you know what? It is always that way, always that way for you and for me. There is not one thing that you have that you did not receive from God. Are you aware of that? Every single thing you have, every single thing you call yours comes as a gracious gift from the hand of your gracious Father. That means Everything you give back to him is simply a response to his grace. Here's what I want to ask you. As you have prayed about what God would have you do in next gen, has God's grace to you been on your mind? Someone wrote this. Hey, Mike, we've been thinking about how God has blessed over the last 10 years since the Imagine campaign, more than we could ever imagine through our emotional hurts, physical pains, and yes, financial needs. We want to be a part of next gen so we can see God's hand at work to reach the unsaved. How could we not build a building with enough room to reach all God's children? Jesus has prepared our place in eternity. How could we not follow his lead and prepare a place on earth for people to worship him? 
someone else wrote, Pastor Mike, giving to next gen is an opportunity to live out what I say I believe. See, we all say we believe in God's grace. And the question for each of us right now is, will we respond to God's grace? And will our response be worthy of his grace? When we see forever, we respond to God's grace. And then number six, when we see forever, we understand that giving is both free and spirit-led. Listen to these verses. Verse five says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Verses 21 and 2 again say, everyone who is willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who are willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Verse 29 says, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses commanded them to do. Now, what do you see in these verses? You see freedom. You don't see any compulsion. You don't see any reluctance. Whoever's heart moved them. Giving is free, freely given. But then at the end of chapter 35 and beginning of chapter 36, we read, then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel and has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts. And then Moses summoned Bezalel and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. And what we see here is God's spirit putting things in people's heart and those people responding to God's spirit and how they gave. Friends, to be a Christ follower means the Holy Spirit is living inside you and taking possession of you and moving in you to show you how you are to follow the Lord. And part of that following is your giving, your generosity. As I said last week, my role as your pastor is not to play the Holy Spirit. It's simply to ask you, have you asked the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do, how he wants you to give, how he wants you to be part of that, this process? See, I can't tell you that. I, I can't tell you that, but I can tell you this. If you're a believer, then you ought to at least ask God what he wants you to do. Have you done that? Now, when I talk about you know, giving being spirit-led, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that you give only when you have a, like a tingly moment in church you know, and you put your lunch money in the bag when it goes by. Not saying that. Paul says that our giving is to be disciplined and systematic, 1 Corinthians 16. Each week we, we set aside something to give. It's planned and thought out. What I am saying is that you should seek the Spirit's counsel and allow him to lead you. Last Sunday afternoon, I received this email. Mike, after Sunday's message, and after prayer and careful consideration, my wife and I are ready to make our commitment to Next Gen. We will provide a $5,000 initial gift and a total commitment of $25,000. This represents 1% of the 2.5 million needed to get started, and we will pray that 99 other families will make a similar commitment. That we already have gathered 775,000 in commitments from 18 families is powerful testimony of God working in the lives of Southwind's members. 
we considered what would be both sacrificial and generous, looking at the information you provided, and we decided we would go beyond the sacrifice of giving up a meal out each week or a Starbucks latte or a movie, and we would give as God would want us to give. We are reaching out in faith as we are not sure exactly where that $20,000 is going to come from. I know that God has already placed that precise commitment on several families' hearts. And I wonder today if there's anyone here and God is saying that to you. God is answering this prayer and speaking to your heart. See, we are free to give as we are willing, but we also should listen to God's Holy Spirit as he speaks to us. Number seven, we give publicly. Again, verse five says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. And this word translated offering is terumah. In Hebrew, it literally means to raise up. In the, in the old King James Version, maybe you've read this, they call this the, the heave offering. We, we use the word heave for some other things that we don't really want to do in church. But that they would bring their offering to God, and the last thing they would do is they would heave it up, lift it up, raise it up for everyone to see. They, they gave publicly. And when they did that, they were identifying with God's people, identifying with God's mission. They were just saying, we're a part of this. We're committed to this. We believe in what God is doing. Had a teenager write me this week, Pastor Mike, Southwinds has always been a home to me, a safe place. I've never been worried to show up, and I knew that I could always get help here. I am really excited to see the church expand and grow into what we all have been dreaming it could be. Someone else wrote me who's made a significant commitment. They said, Mike, in an era of publicly paying it forward, we see people experiencing the joy of giving. While these acts are selfless and make for warm feelings, they usually involve something of token value, like a coffee or a bridge toll. In contributing to next gen, we are paying forward something of infinite value that recipients who've not yet been born might never have the opportunity to receive anywhere else. Matthew 6.20 tells us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So in this way, we are able to pay it upward as we pay it forward. That's number seven. And now I come to number eight, which actually is my favorite point. And you probably never would have seen this one coming. What happens when we see forever? Well, number eight says this. Your pastor might have to tell you to stop giving. That's what we see in the text. Chapter 36, 5 through 7. They said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent the word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Moses had to call a, like a congregational meeting to tell the people to stop giving. Just one time. <laughs> just one time, Southwinds, in my life, just one time, would you allow me the privilege of experiencing these verses? I promise you that I will do a really good job of calling the meeting. I promise you I'll call it immediately. I will preach the shortest sermon you have ever heard in your life. 
Pastor Jay will do an interpretive dance. <laughs> Pastor Kevin has promised he will do a rap. You may not know. You may not know that Pastor Kevin has a rapper name. His rapper name is Vanilla Ice Cube. Um, and I just promise you, it will be a service to remember. Now, here's the point. All this giving was motivated not by the perception of, of a need, but by the overflow of grateful hearts. It's something I've learned over the years of being a pastor. The most generous gifts are always motivated not by guilt, but by grace. See, when our hearts are full of love and gratitude for the God who sent his only son and saved us from our sins, and when we see how gracious God is to invite us to join him in his kingdom work, that that we get to be part of his eternal plan by leveraging our temporary stuff to receive eternal dividends, I mean, all of that leads to a grateful response to him, and it creates this joyful, sacrificial, lifelong generosity. Because God, again, doesn't need our money. He just wants our hearts. And when God has our hearts, then everything else just falls into place. That's why I've told you, generosity isn't something God wants from you. It's something he wants for you. That's why I've told you, generosity, God's primary purpose, and it is not to get the money out of your pockets, but it's to get the idols out of your hearts. And so the question from Exodus 35 and 36 is this. If they gave in response to what they they had seen like this, then how much more should we respond? We see so much more clearly than they the grace of God. I mean, they'd been delivered from economic slavery. We have been delivered from judgment and death. They offered a Passover land lamb to be delivered from Egypt. Jesus became our Passover lamb to deliver us from hell. They were building a tabernacle where the presence of God would dwell and sacrifices would be made to cover their sins. Jesus made us his tabernacle. He dwells in us and he has put our sin away forever by offering himself. See, if that's how they gave in response to what they saw, how much more should we give in response to what we have seen? I want to do what I did last week. And as we, we come to a conclusion, take you to a place in the New Testament, where Paul articulates these principles we've just learned. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's verses 6 through 15, and Paul in this passage deals with the one thing that most often keeps Christians from giving. Beginning in verse 6, he writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, what's the number one reason that people don't give? And I think it's this, it's fear. A lot of people want to be generous, but they're afraid. 
What if we can't make ends meet one day? What if I lose my job? What if the president and the Congress destroy our economy? What if, what if, what if? And you want to be generous, but you're afraid because money seems like your only security for the future. And so you, you kind of panic and it keeps you from doing what God is calling you to do. I heard a story that supposedly appeared in a Peace Corps manual many years ago for Amazon uh, region volunteers. And it, it had instructions on what you should do if you were attacked by an anaconda. You know, the largest snake in the world that grows to 35 feet can swallow a 350-pound animal whole. Here's what it said, nine instructions. Number one, don't run. See, they say the anaconda is fast enough to catch you. I say, let the anaconda prove it. (laughs) Number two, lie flat on the ground. Keep arms close to your side and your legs together. Number three, tuck your chin in. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge you and climb over your body. Anybody have sweaty palms about right now? You can wipe them on your neighbor's pants. Um, Number five, do not panic. (laughs) Number six, after the snake has begun to examine you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet in first. It always swallows from the feet in first. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. Number seven, the snake will then begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Number eight, when the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently insert it into the snake's mouth between its mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upward and sever its head. Number nine, Be sure you have your knife. (laughs) You know, panic paralyzes us, doesn't it? Keeps us from doing what we should. And Paul is saying here, when it comes to giving, don't panic. Why? Well, listen to him again in verse 8. He says, God is able to make all grace abound you so you can have everything you need. In verse 10, he says, God supplies seed to the sower. He's going to give you what you need. You will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. God will take care of us, his people. That's what he's telling us as we are generous. And in fact, it says here actually that God wants to increase your resources. And we don't want to need to over-spiritualize this. God may use your generosity as a means to multiply your financial capacity to give, which, which means really enriching you financially even more. Now, I need to be clear here. We're not talking about some dumb name it, claim it, stab it, grab it, sneeze it, seize it strategy that you know, just does all kinds of dumb things, just makes stuff up, gives money you don't have. He's talking about God taking care of you when you honor him with your giving, and when you give generously, even when it scares you. Someone wrote to me, Pastor Mike, thank you for this spiritual challenge to really trust God to meet all our needs. In the past, people at Southwinds planted the seeds to bring us where we are today. It's now our time to plant seeds for the next generation. Paul ends chapter 9 with this, this statement. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, And it just reminds us that we always give because we are overwhelmed by God's grace. One chapter back in in, in chapter 8, he writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 
See, what Paul is telling us is we should not feel reluctance or compulsion to give. We are to decide in our hearts how we are to respond to God's grace to us, and we give always in response to that grace. You may not think you have much. It doesn't matter. God wants you to respond from your heart. You may be a person who has plenty, and you need to remember maybe that God doesn't need your money either, and and so you might be able to give something that seems kind of impressive on a balance sheet, but if it doesn't represent your heart, it's meaningless. See, the question for each of us today on this Commitment Sunday is what would represent a gift that's from our hearts, from our souls? What would represent a gift that is worthy of the Lord's grace? Am I going to give something that costs me nothing, or am I going to give a gift that reflects what God has done in my life? Someone wrote, you often hear, you can't outgive God. And when I reflect on what God has sacrificed for me, it's embarrassing to think that giving back what's already his is really sacrificial. When I look into the face of my new grandchild and think of all the new babes in Christ that will come to know him through our expansion, what sacrifice is worthy of sharing the gospel with this next generation? See, for some of us, I really do believe that this is the time that we're maybe going to first, in our, first time in our life step out in faith and truly begin to tithe. Is that what God is calling you to do? Is next gen going to be the time where you first in your life fully trust him and do the things he's called you to do? I believe God's calling some of our families to, to go far, far beyond that. And there are some families that will make and already have made very deep sacrifices during this season. What about you? What about you? You know, I've wrestled with what I'm about to say, but as I've prayed, I really felt the Lord leading me to say it, and so I'm going to. There's two things as we close. First of all, there are some of you here who have written down a commitment that may not be a truly sacrificial commitment. And I'm not going to pressure you or manipulate you. You're the only one that's going to know uh, about this one way or the other, but I want to ask you, is God's Spirit calling you to something more? Is God's Spirit calling you to scratch off what you've written down and write something else that would more reflect the response of your heart to the grace of your God? Secondly, there are some of us who are here today, and honestly, and you know this is the truth, we haven't really prayed about this at all. We haven't really thought this through. Maybe you're just kind of being procrastinating about this. Maybe you're just kind of annoyed by this whole next-gen thing. Why do we have to do this? Now, again, I hesitate to say this, but if you're not truly spiritually ready to make a commitment, maybe you just need to keep your commitment card with you today and take it home and pray. Take it home and think about it some more. Truly seek God about what obedience means for you and your family, and then bring your card back or mail it in before our celebration Sunday on June the 5th. What I'm really talking about here is just making sure that all of us do in our commitments what is truly reflective of God's goodness and grace to us. Does that make sense? We're going to pray, and then we're going to first of all receive our regular offering as we do each week. And as we do, we're going to hear some testimonies of Southwind's family members. After that, we're going to have a time of worship. And as we are praying together, as we are singing Uh, you're going to have the opportunity to bring your next-gen initial gift and your 36-month commitment. 
We're not going to make a big deal about it, but we are asking everyone to come forward and, and you, you will see at the front of each of your aisles baskets where you can just drop your envelope. And uh, you can do that whenever you want. You may want to take some time to pray in your seat before you come. But our worship team is going to be up here and they're going to lead us in a time of worship and singing. And we just want it to be a, a time to honor the Lord, to honor the God who loved us so much that he gave to us his only son. Would you bow your heads? Father, may we today so generously and may your people give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but with great joy and cheerfulness. Lord, may our commitments honor you and be worthy of your grace. And Father, we ask, will you make all grace abound to us and will you reward our faith by providing all we need so that we can abound in every good work? Father, we thank you today for Jesus, your indescribable gift, and as we commit ourselves to you again, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name and all God's people together say, amen. amen.